Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the DWZ. That's right, the Dynasty Warzone's very own rookie rundown. As always, I am your host, Dallas, and you can find me on Twitter at Salad Galore. That is Dallas backwards with two L's galore. And guys, it's good to be back. Um, I'm feeling fresh, ready, recharged after a lovely Independence Day weekend at the lake. Um, Hopefully all of you out there had a chance to at least enjoy some of the sunshine that we were getting in the Midwest and hopefully across the rest of the country, you got some of that as well. I myself spent a large amount of the weekend out at the lake and it was much needed, kind of a reprieve from work. And uh, hopefully that is something that you all experienced as well. But we are back in the driver's seat for some more rookie content. We are taking a slight hiatus from the regular planned schedule of what I've been doing with my first year forecasting of the rookies here for the individual divisions. Um, we only actually we only have three of those left, just so you guys know. So we're nearing the end of that in general, and I'll be popping off back onto my personal favorite offseason topic to be talking about in the Oklahoma drills. But um, this week we're doing kind of a niche episode, so um, this is just your warning. This one is specifically geared towards first year producers, and specifically in scoring settings similar to, or specifically in this case, the Scott Fishbowl. Um, A lot of the drafts for Scott Fishbowl pop off this week. If you are unaware of what that is, Scott Fishbowl is a donation-based charity run, massive league put on for uh, Toys for Tots, basically um, donating a bunch of toys for kids every year that are not fortunate or well off enough to get them on their own. So it is a great cause. Even if you're not a part of it, I strongly suggest donating to the cause. Um, The link is on the website. But... Uh, yeah, so we're going to be looking at these rookies guys specifically. We're going to be looking at the ones that I think are the cash in your draft and the ones that are the deceivers, i.e. don't want to call anyone trash, but cash or trash just because of the nice little fun ring moniker that it has. Um, there are going to be basically a player from each position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end and kickers. Uh, so if you're out there looking for rookie kickers in any of your redraft or dynasty leagues, guys, um, there is some good content for you here because there's two guys of note that are actually pretty interesting and on some pretty explosive offenses going forward in both the dynasty space and for first year production that um, one of them I think is more of that mirage type status while the other one is basically in line to just kind of ball this season and not really look back at all. but I'll be going over why I think based off of certain scoring settings, these players are the ones I'm going to be targeting in some redraft leagues that I still have to come as well as the Scott fishbowl, which I draft on this weekend. So, Again, sorry if you were tuning in for that fun little content with a continuation of a new division worth of first-year forecasting, but I'm going to sprinkle in some guys that I have talked about and then some guys that I haven't had the chance to talk about yet just to give you a little bit of a sneak peek of how I feel about them going into year one and what I think they can truly contribute or lack thereof for their teams going forward. Um, With no further ado, let's go ahead and actually switch it up. I'm going to start with the players that I'm not going to be targeting specifically in that I'm going to be avoiding in the Scott Fishbowl draft coming out this weekend. Um, The number one position for most people, as always, in any Superflex format is the quarterback, so we'll start there. Um, For me, it's Malik Willis. I've seen some of the drafts that have happened thus far and a lot of the mocks that have happened thus far for the Scott Fishbowl. And when you are looking at Malik Willis, he is going ahead of every rookie quarterback other than Kenny Pickett right now. And he's getting drafted ahead of some other backups that I would 
personally rather prefer um, that are dealing with some injuries or some more up in the air situations. Um, based off of ADP right now that I've been seeing, he's going ahead of Sam Darnold, which say what you will about Sam Darnold. He still has just as good of a shot as anyone to really get that winning job in Carolina, even with Baker coming in as a quote unquote true competition. When you're looking at Malik Willis and when you're looking at the scoring system for quarterbacks in Scott Fishbowl, um, the two big things that pop up the most are fumbles, which Malik Willis struggled with in college, and completion percentage is one of the biggest scoring. So if you have any type of scoring system in your league specifically outside of the Scott Fishbowl where it is predicated based off of your completion percentage. Um, The way it works for this one is that if you score, basically you get a point per completion and a negative half a point per incompletion. So if you are below 66.6% completion as a quarterback, you are losing points compared to the average based off of the scoring setting. So just to give you a heads up, um, Malik Willis didn't even sniff that. His career average in college was 11% below that at 55%. So it's looking at basically an unrefined Josh Allen is what he was being compared to coming out. That's kind of what you're getting in Malik Willis. And if you all remember that type of consistency, especially from a guy who realistically isn't going to see the field at all, unless Ryan Tannehill is either injured or just looks even worse than what he did last year. Um, Malik Willis is a guy... I want nothing to do with. So where he's going is just kind of ridiculous to me. I will let someone else take a gambit on that third quarterback. Um, I get the appeal and there is an appeal of the quarterback. I'm going to talk about in general of drafting a rookie quarterback that may or may not start midway through the year. I like that strategy as my QB three, so I don't really have to focus on it, but we'll get into that when I go to my cash side, my avoid slash trash running back that I will not be targeting in the scoring format of Mr. Scott Fishbowl is Damian Pierce. Um, There's still this illusion that Damian Pierce is going to be taking a massive workload on this Houston Texans offense, and I just don't see it. Um, Marlon Mack all throughout the offseason has basically claimed that RB1 role. Damian Pierce hasn't gotten any work, according to all the reporters (laughs) that I'm following right now, with the first team. He's currently RB3 behind even Rex Burkhead right now. Um, I loved the hype train that was going on, but as you guys know, I was not very big on Mr. Damian Pierce coming out. Didn't really love the landing spot for him either, and it's a wait-and-see play. So if you're waiting for a rotational player at the running back, he's a guy I would rather pick up off the waiver wire or let someone else take in the draft than take that bullet because all in all, the scoring is predicated based off of one fumbles, which... He had a fumble rate that was actually just barely above the um, NCAA record, not record, sorry, NCAA average over the last three years. And basically once every 112 touches that he touched the ball, he fumbled, which isn't that great. Um, To give you reference, there's three backs that have almost double that with their college careers in average touches per fumble. So he's a guy I'm avoiding. It's a big, big, big no-no to draft running backs when you have that fumble clause that have those butterfingers. So I will be avoiding Mr. Damian Pierce in the Scott Fishbowl scoring. Um, Looking at the wide receiver that I am going to be avoiding specifically in this league setting is a guy that's probably going to shock you guys, but I don't really want anything to do with Chris Olave this rookie year of his um that may come as a complete surprise to you if you've been listening to this entirety of this offseason but for me chris Olave is a big red flag and it's due extremely extremely minutely due to the fact that they brought in jarvis landry uh if you're looking at a player 
<laughs> basically the two players that you could look at and say, wow, that's the type of style that you would assume a guy like Chris Olave is probably going to play in his career. It would be a guy like Brandon Cooks or a guy like Jarvis Landry, that type of utilization, that type of usage all over the field. But right now he's got to compete with a tried and true veteran who just absorbs targets wherever he goes in Jarvis Landry and the slant king himself who absorbed the highest target rate out of anyone in NFL history just three years ago in Michael Thomas coming back from injury. So Chris Olave, unless Michael Thomas misses a massive amount of time, which we won't know prior to the drafting of even redraft here, is not a guy I'm highly invested in this year. For Dynasty, I still love him, but for redraft leagues, I will be avoiding him, and specifically the Scott Fishbowl scoring, which is predicated based off of tight ends. Sorry, not tight ends. Predicated based off of touchdown production more so than anything else due to its half PPR nature. I will be avoiding Chris Olave because I don't think the touchdown totals are going to be there with Jameis Winston throwing the ball and him basically being predicated as only the deep threat on the team. Going into... The tight end position, a guy I'm avoiding is kind of a fan favorite for a lot of people prior to the draft and during this preseason period. It's still Jelani Woods. Uh, he's basically been a ghost in OTAs thus far, though. Uh, you haven't heard anything about him truly running or impressing in matchups. You're hearing a lot about his teammate, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, Mr. Alec Pierce, but Jelani Woods has been pretty quiet. Um, the guy that you could look at and say, oh, wow, it's pretty similar to him would be Mo Ali Cox, who is still locked and loaded as the number one tight end. Uh, Jelani Woods is not the best blocker. I talked about that quite a bit in his rookie profile episode earlier this offseason, and thus he is not going to be beating out Kyle Granson for that tight end two spot. Realistically, he could be a very athletic poppy guy that may be nice in like a best ball setting or might be nice down the road in Dynasty. But as of right now, the offense just has so many mouths to feed and so many similar profiles on that basketball-style-esque team that I can't promise you that Matt Ryan's going to be going to a guy like Jelani Woods when he's got Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, Moali Cox, and a couple of other larger wide receivers to be playing around with. So he's a guy I'm kind of avoiding specifically also due to the fact that tight ends are one of the most illustrious positions that you can go after in the Scott Fishbowl type scoring. Any type of tight end premium league, it's very advantageous to pick up a rookie tight end on the cheap. It's just making sure that you pick up the correct rookie tight end on the cheap and stashing him appropriately until he does break out. Jelani Woods, for me guys, is not that player. Going into the position of note, it was actually pretty fun. Uh, if you enjoy kicker play and are on the team kicker train or team kicker should not go away train as I am with my one long-standing league that still has the kickers in it, it is... Mr. Jonathan Garibay is the guy I'm avoiding. So he's actually the only rookie right now at the kicker position that does not have a tried and true competition going on. He's currently with the Dallas Cowboys, which may sound illustrious due to the overall production of the offense on this team. But he does not have a very good track record. He's coming in as a UDFA. He doesn't have a lot of kicks underneath his belt. He's a converted soccer player, which may sound like it's appealing, but there's been more failed soccer converts into place kickers in the NFL than there have been successful ones. So I will just tell you to kind of avoid with that. He has only made 150 plus kick in his entire collegiate career, and he actually only has about 30 kicks on his overall resume. He's a two-year producer at Texas Tech, where he didn't even get the full workload 
his first year at Texas Tech. So I know Jonathan Garibay may be on the Dallas Cowboys roster. If you're a Cowboys fan, you'll realize, again, he's the only kicker on the roster. It makes sense for them to come in. But if there's been a position where they've been fluctuating in a similar vein, kind of what you see in Minnesota, it is at the kicker position. They like to bounce around specifically if there's any type of dry spell with their kickers. They're immediately reactionary with that. Jerry Jones doesn't really mess around with missing points on that. And when you have a guy that can't really well, it's not that he can't, it's that he hasn't proven the ability to make the big kicks when they matter or the long kicks specifically in order to keep that point funnel going for your team. It's a guy I'm not going to be investing in, especially at a player, uh, not a player, a position where if you have bonuses for yardage, like in the Scott Fishbowl, your kicker matters. You can end up flexing multiple kickers if you decide to go a very weird and unique strategy, which is oftentimes what is needed to win the Scott Fishbowl. So going after a heavy kicker approach might be something that I'm looking into. Um, Also for stipulations, this is my first year in the Scott Fishbowl. I've just been paying attention to it the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, kickers are a very unique tool to be used if they are still available in your leagues or in the Scott Fishbowl draft pool. Going on to the cash players, these are the five rookies of note at each position that I am looking to draft or pick up immediately following my um, NFL draft for the Scott Fishbowl. Realistically, you're going to have to probably draft all of these other than the kicker that I'm going to bring up, but these are guys that I think have the best chance to score the highest amount of points at their respective positions this year, kind of regardless of scoring but specifically if it is not full ppr scoring these are the guys that i'm looking for at the quarterback position should be a shocker to no one it is mr kenny pickett um based off of how i typically work in my super flex leagues i am either going to go balls to the walls with my quarterbacks to where i want three absolute studs then i'll fill in the positions that i need after that entirely in the draft trading for obviously roster position need with the most valuable piece possible in a quarterback. And when you're specifically looking at a different strategy opposed to that is getting your two quarterbacks and then just kind of forgetting about your third quarterback. I look to the rookies in that situation. Oftentimes in Superflex, um, people have a tendency to draft four, maybe even five quarterbacks because they always want the chance to basically be able to replace them immediately. Immediately replace your kicker or not your kicker, your quarterback if they go down. For me, it's a situation to where if you're drafting two basically high-end quarterback twos or one quarterback one and a one quarterback two on the back end side. If you lose one of them, realistically, the amount of catch-up that you're going to have to play during your season and the pieces you'll have to trade off to acquire a guy of relevant relevancy or the ability to actually you know funnel in the quarterback off the waiver wires that can actually get you points on a weekly basis, you're going to spend so much time doing that. Realistically, you're not going to end up winning your league, and you're probably not going to win a competition like the Scott Fishbowl. So going for just your two guys and just not expecting injuries is probably the safest way to do it. It allows you to get advantages at other positions specifically, and a guy like Kenny Pickett gives you the option where he has a discounted draft cost in most redraft leagues, specifically like the Scott Fishbowl format right now due to the fact that 
He's not the starter right now, and all the reports say that he's basically the QB3 right now. They're excited for his long-term prospects, but right now Mitchell Trubisky has done nothing to show that he cannot lead this team efficiently and effectively for them. So they are going to be rolling with Mitchell Trubisky as the QB1, according to Tomlin himself, repeatedly this offseason. So Kenny Pickett is most likely going to get that redshirt year. The only way he would come in is if Mitch flames out, which he has been shown to do three different times in his career with three different backups. Or if there's an injury, which is also possible due to the run-heavy scheme. The thing that is alluring to Kenny Pickett, who is in a similar situation to multiple other rookie quarterbacks in this year's draft class, is the fact that his weapons are significantly better than anyone else's in this rookie draft class for the quarterbacks. That's why Kenny Pickett is the one I will be targeting. Right now, he is going as a mid-to-late QB3 in ADP right now for redraft. So that's about what I anticipate. Um, He was a very accurate quarterback, um, basically above average, above that 66% threshold when you're looking at his career totals. So that is what I'm looking like at the quarterback. His interception total isn't extremely high and he doesn't take a lot of sacks. He's smart, fluid, and gets the ball where it's supposed to go. So with a guy like Kenny Pickett, I would take an upside on that in a format that is not predicated on rushing, i.e. like the Scott Fishbowl. The running back position, this one is probably a little controversial. It is not Mr. Brees Hall. It's Mr. Kenneth Walker for me, and this has to do with the fumbles. Um, Brees Hall had one of the highest fumble rates out of the entire class in this year's RB draft class. When it comes to opportunity, there's basically three guys that you could argue in this class that have an extremely high opportunity, and that would be Mr. Brees Hall, Mr. Kenneth Walker, and Mr. James Cook. But we all know how I feel about James Cook. I think he is an option piece that is basically going to be used as a rotational scat type satellite back, seeing multiple targets as a receiving threat, but not a high output of touchdowns, yardage, or overall receptions with how many targets that they have on the team right now, as well as the rushing division with Devin Singletary, who's a much better runner than James Cook is. And then you look at Kenneth Walker. He had almost 400 carries in his career, which I know is not that daunting of a number, but he didn't fumble once. He is extremely secure with the ball. He tucks it high and tight. It's extremely hard to bring him down, and he realistically is looking at the largest workload out of any of the running backs going into the season. Right now, he basically has the RB1 role ahead of Rashad Penny, according to all the beat reporters that I've seen, and that should continue into the season. We know Penny can't really stay healthy. He's proven that he can't, so that's not just a blanket statement at this point. And even if he does get some of the work, that's just (laughs) going to be rushing work. It's not going to be passing work. They don't typically pass to the running backs, which is, I know, something that we typically like. But in half-point PPR, it's not as advantageous as a lot of people like to pump it up to be. So unless you are one of those high-end receiving backs, a la Alvin Kamara, a la Dalvin Cook, a la Christian McCaffrey, it's not really as important to become a back-end RB1 with that type of workload. So there's usually one rookie running back who ends up as an RB1 every single year. It's happened basically every year for the last like almost decade, and I think Kenneth Walker is that guy this year. Um, I like the landing spot. I like the overall fit in the offense, and I like his ball security in a league that highly penalizes turnovers. So if you are in a redraft league that highly penalizes turnovers or you're looking for first-year production in a league that does the same, Kenneth Walker might might be your guy over Brees Hall this year. When I look at wide receiver position, this is where the first downs and the touchdowns come in the most with this scoring setting. So if you get any type of point bonus for a receptions for a first down or a rushes for first down, which is another you know nod towards Kenneth Walker, I think he's going to be getting a lot of those short carries. 
for those first downs, which then gives them half a point every time. Um, you want to look for those big bodied wide receivers. You want to look for the physical specimens, the third down wide receivers, if you will. And the guy with realistically the highest target volume out of any of the rookie wide receivers going into year one with the alpha profile physically and the overall body size, explosiveness, and versatility to work both in the run and in the pass game, which is what we typically like for running backs and wide receivers, you're looking at Traylon Burks. He's going into the Tennessee offense, which I know doesn't sound it's as exciting, I guess, as what we were anticipating. But when you look at how they were using A.J. Brown, that's pretty much what you anticipate them to use Traylon Brooks as. Um, I had a nice debate with a lot of the other DWZ content creators and one of our podcast group me's where we were chatting about it and me and tyler o are pretty much in lockstep with this realistically you're looking at a top 24 season from Traylon burks as long as he stays healthy and he sees a top five average for targets receptions receiving yards and touchdowns as long as he's somewhere in the average of the top five over the last five years when you look at the data that would give him a top 24 season at the wide receiver position. Uh, I'm just expecting something along the veins of a Devonta Smith, what he was able to produce last year from Traylon Burks. It's a similar offensive firepower and similar scheme when you think of how run heavy those two teams were. And when you look at the overall weapons surrounding him last year, I would argue that Derrick Henry and Robert Woods are going to draw a lot more coverage away from a guy like Traylon Burks than Jalen Rager and a injured Miles Sanders slash Kenneth Gainwell were able to do for the Jalen Hurts offense and Devonta Smith last year. So when I'm looking at Traylon Burks, he's my overall wide receiver one after the post-draft. He was my overall wide receiver one pre-draft as well. The landing spot's great. Them shipping off A.J. Brown just opens a big massive void of targets, and although they're not the most pass-heavy offense in the league, his play style fits perfectly, and that's why they drafted him. So Traylon Burks is the wide receiver I will be targeting specifically. Most likely, he will end up as my wide receiver three on my Scott Fishbowl team, knock on wood. Um, but that is a guy that I am heavily targeting in a lot of redraft leagues this year late when I'm in with those players that don't really pay attention to the rookies as much as they should. The tight end position and the kicker are kind of my favorite targets for this class right now. And it's a guy I've talked up kind of the most out of any of the rookies post-draft. Um, the tight end position for me is Daniel Bellinger, and there's no one else. He exclusively ran with the number one offense, all of OTAs and all of rookie minicamp. Every single time there has been a team activity that he's been allowed to work with, he has been working with the number ones every single time. He's a explosive freak. And when it comes to first down and touchdowns, like I was talking about earlier from the receiving side, those each get bonuses for the tight end position. You're looking at a tight end premium guy who's extremely athletic, could give you high touchdown variance and high touchdown upside because of said variance in a similar vein to what we saw from OJ Howard in Tampa Bay. And that's what I will keep beating into your guys' heads over and over and over. Daniel Bellinger could realistically give you that six to seven touchdowns, which at the tight end position, regardless of your yardage totals, regardless of your reception totals, could vault him into the back end tight end one 
category as a guy that realistically might not even get drafted in any Scott Fishbowl league. I've seen him very late in a couple so far from the ones I've been paying attention to. And specifically in your redraft, I would bet money he doesn't get drafted in any of your redraft leagues. So he's a guy I'm focusing on extremely late. And if you like high upside variants and waiting on the tight end position for those upside plays, he's a guy I would love to be stashing on my roster or a guy that I'd like to kind of mess around with the first couple weeks, throw him into my lineups if the matchups are good. I haven't looked at team matchups yet quite yet on this NFL roster, but Daniel Bellinger is a guy I'm targeting specifically in those redraft and Scott Fishbowl scoring leagues. And then we get to the kicker position. This is my, my dark horse, my deep sleeper and my really unique sketchy play that I'm most likely going to be attempting to use this year in my first Scott Fishbowl time. And that is Mr. Cade York. He was drafted 124th to the Cleveland Browns. He is their starting kicker. Um, similar vein, there's one other guy on the roster that they have that is in a quote-unquote competition with him. But Cade York had one of the best collegiate careers that we've seen in a while. Right under 85% completion at LSU with over 60 attempts. And he hit over 15... Fi- no, sorry, he hit 15 kicks of 50-plus yards. So when you're looking at a scoring system that predicates itself at the kicker position that gives you those yardage bonuses, that means that he would have had 15 six-point plays from that position. That's the equivalent of 15 touchdowns from any other position in this league. So when you're looking at the kicker position, you're looking at a guy that no one knows who it is. It's a guy that you can say what you want, but there is kind of still even this allure of the Cleveland offense not really going to be very explosive because it's what we've seen for a while. We still think it's going to be extremely run heavy, which is the case. Cool. That just means if they don't punch it in, you're going to have shorter field goals with a higher volume amount. And if they're unable to move the ball because of a Deshaun Watson suspension, you're going to see a Jacoby Brissett inside the 20s with some long attempts with Cade York, who they trust based off of both Traft Capital, the lack of true competition on the team, and his track record at LSU making those 50-plus yarders. He's a guy that I'm going to be targeting late as my second or third kicker on my teams. Um, Like I said, I'm planning on flexing out some kickers which if that's an option or if you're looking for a cheap kicker option in any of your redraft leagues and or dynasty leagues where you need a kicker, um, you have some teams that may be stacked or yours just retired or isn't very good anymore. Cade York is a fun target and he's a guy that, like I said, I think he's my dark horse for the season. So again, this has been just kind of a short redraft episode. It's more of a first year forecasting broader scope for a redraft purpose is what I would call this. If you are looking at those half point PPR leagues where there are some fun multipliers for yardage bonuses or fun multipliers for first downs, this episode was for you. Again, the cash plays I'm targeting are going to be Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Walker, Traylon Burks, Daniel Bellinger, and Cade York from the rookie class, and the guys I will be avoiding at all costs and will not have on any of my teams for redraft purposes or for Like I said, the Scott Fishbowl draft, I'll go ahead and send you the receipts here once I get them, are going to be Malik Willis, Damian Pierce, Chris Olave, Jelani Woods, or Jonathan Garibay. I know their matchups may seem like they're good, their roster security may seem like it's nice, and their potential may seem to be there, but the upside for when they actually hit or get the opportunity that you are anticipating them getting, guys, I'm telling you, it's not as high as you think it is. So once again, this has been the DWZ, the Dynasty Warzone's very own rookie rundown. 
This is a weird Scott Fishbowl slash redraft episode to kind of break up the first year forecasting, but I will be back in your ears next week with another first year forecasting episode where it is either going to be one of my personal friends who you're going to be able to see a little bit of chemistry that I have with a guy that I've known for about a decade and been podcasting with for almost as long in Mr. Dalton himself, or you're going to be hearing me along with some fun guests, i.e. some Patreons and some DWZ members to break down three of kind of the most exciting divisions that are left in this first year forecasting cycle. Until next time, have a great week.